on the Crimson Tide Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. This is the Roll Tidecast, the official podcast of Alabama athletics. Here's Roger Hoover. This edition of the Roll Tidecast finds us hanging out on the diamond. Hello again, everybody. I'm Roger Hoover, and this time around, I sit down with softball All-American and academic All-American Bailey Hemphill, plus the head coach of the Alabama baseball team, Brad Bohannon. Bailey, who helped Alabama slug its way to the Women College World Series last year, along with a number four national ranking at the end of the season, talks about hitting, playing with great pitchers, and life after the capstone. All right, Bailey Hemphill, you're getting ready for your senior season, and there are some upgrades to Rhodes House. You can sometimes hear the construction in the background, but this is already really the pl- best place to play college softball. you got to be excited that the renovations are almost here, and you're about to get to play in a, what seems like a brand-new stadium almost. Yeah, we're really excited. We have a lot of new things coming this season, and um, we're excited to host SEC tournaments. Big, big reason why we got all these renovations, but, yeah, we're, we're glad to give the fans a little more than – what they're giving us. What kind of home field advantage is that going to give you guys later down the road in the SEC tournament? Our fans are always a huge factor in every every game we play. Um, they they feed off of our energy. So if we're getting into the game, then they're so loud, and it's just honestly unbearable for the other team to kind of communicate with each other and think straight. And we're used to it, and, you know, because we play with it all the time. So especially like in supers and and like regionals and stuff, it's. They're just they're too much for the, some other teams because they're not used to having big crowds like that. And, of course, you got to see that as a freshman, as a sophomore. But I'm sure last year, just as the season went along, and yeah. like you mentioned, you got deeper in the season to regionals and super mm-hmm. regionals, it just became a madhouse for those games. I mean, I remember freshman and sophomore year, our midweek games, we'd have a, a good-sized crowd. It wasn't – we weren't filling out the stadium. I mean, usually Brickyard during midweeks aren't – you know, you're not getting too many people. Sure. But, I mean, I remember last year it was – like every game, there it was almost sold out, and then it was sold out, and so every game it just seemed like we kept getting more and more and more, and then, I mean, the last SEC series, like everything was sold out, regional, super regionals. I mean, it just it made a really big impact. On and of season. course, they were having so much fun with how you guys were playing, and for you, it seemed like something changed from your sophomore year to your junior year. Uh, you look back at last year, you hit 375, 26 homers, and then a ton of RBI as well. Just what led to the change for you for that? I think it would. Probably just be confidence, you know, just every year I feel like I've progressed a little more and more. And then last year, everything kind of seemed like it clicked a little. I wasn't really thinking so much after my at-bats, you know, just kind of learning from them and, and, you know, moving on and, you know, just developing confidence saying, like, I know I can hit this pitch, you know. I wasn't getting as frustrated with myself. So kind of just developing as a player and just learning not to get frustrated and just kind of move on and each each at bat's a new at bat. Yeah, what can you tell us about your mindset of the play? I would say I honestly don't I try not to think. That's my number one thing. I've learned in the past that if I'm thinking and my bats it's just gonna end terribly because I try to guess what the pitcher's gonna throw and it just doesn't work out for me at all. Um, I would I just kind of trust my preparation throughout the week. Our coaches do a phenomenal job of preparing us what their tendencies are and what to look for and whatnot. And so just throughout the week, practicing, okay, she has a really good curve, so just work on hitting that, hitting that. And so when I get into the box, I trust that my body knows what a curveball looks like and everything. So I just take a deep breath, try to calm myself, and just trust everything that I've prepared all week for. 
Was it helpful as well to see, especially in the SEC, a lot of pitchers, you know, year in, year out, and a lot of them your age or a year mm-hmm. before, was it helpful to have that familiarity with some of the best? That definitely helps. You know, seeing a pitcher for the first time isn't very easy, so getting to see Kelly Barnhill for the third year, you know, that really – I was like, okay, and I, I know what she's done in the past on me, and I know what her pitches are. So it it definitely is an advantage to play against people multiple times because, I mean, the odds are starting to go in your favor the more you play someone. Yeah, especially a pitcher like yeah. her, you know, and you're seeing her in regular season SEC tournament, and all of a sudden yeah, the Women's so College World Series. Just what's that mental? Ch- I mean, I know you say you don't think much when you're mm-hmm. at the plate, but you got to know she's thinking all about you. I guess I would just say. You know, every game is just a different game, and especially if it's different when you're playing in an SEC series and then you're playing in the SEC tournament, there's different stakes and everything. So just trying to approach each game as it is and just really trust that I've what I've done to prepare. 26 home runs last year. Of those 26 home runs, how many would you say are rise balls that you hit out? Honestly, I would say one, probably. Just one? Yeah, I don't... Rise ball is pretty hard to hit, um, and I don't really like swinging at them, so I, would, I wouldn't give the rise ball most of my home runs on that. <laughs> so would it be an off-speed pitch or breaking ball then? It would probably be more of like a screw or curve, you know, n- nothing that's breaking down or rising up. Um, off-speed, a few of those, but I would give – honestly, I would give a pitch that a pitcher made a mistake on and kind of left it right there. <laughs> you know, those are, those are the ones that you t- usually get a hold of easily. Do you normally have a lot of launch angle uh, when you're able to connect? I, I think so. Because sometimes I, I get under a ball, like, and I'm like, oh, that's a pop-up. And it kind of just carries and then carries over <laughs> the fence. So I would say yes, because I don't have too many home runs that are straight line drives over the fence. Now, of course, here at Alabama, and especially this fall and getting ready for this season, you're getting to go up against really the best pitching staff in the SEC. How does that help you as a hitter in practice, getting to go up against Montana, Sarah, all all they can bring to you? Well, I will tell you it's a struggle hitting off of them in practice. (laughs) It's, It's very hard, and we're very fortunate to have them on our team. Murph always says, just be thankful that they're on your team, not on somebody else's. And I am because I really do think we have the best pitching staff because we have Montana. Obviously, she's proved herself last year. We have the SEC Pitcher of the Year, Sarah. And then Crystal had a phenomenal year. And then Lexi is like our little secret weapon, you know, because no one has that much film on her. And, I mean, she's really good as well. So, And they all complement each other very well. They all throw different things. And, I mean, it's going to be – it's going to be very impressive throughout the year to see what they do. Yeah, without giving away a scouting report or any secrets, no, yeah, what no. can you tell our fans to excite them about Lexi? That she can really pitch and she can really hit. But <laughs> she, she is literally probably one of our better hitters on the team already as a freshman. And as a pitcher, you're just going to be in awe in what you see. A little, a little preview gets you excited. <laughs> well, we certainly like hearing that as we get ready for it. Team 24, and you got to be excited about what this year could bring. Already we're seeing Alabama preseason number one picked to win the SEC, a lot of expectations, but there seems to be just a lot of inner confidence from you guys regardless of any of those rankings or anything. You know, Murph always tells us, like, last year was last year, this is a new year. I mean, we do have a different team, but we have a lot of people returning from last year, and so we've had a lot of people that – have had success last year and then you can only go forward from that you know so it's very 
exciting to see how people are going to continue to develop as players, especially like our sophomores that were um, from last year, like Kaylee Tao and KB and all of them. They're juniors now, and I mean they're they're only getting better. And same with Skylar Montana, like all of that freshman class from last year. So it's very exciting to see how people are going to not only take what they got from last year, but improve on it this year. You're from Lafayette, Louisiana. How did yeah. you get to Tuscaloosa, Alabama for college? I, I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna give Allie a little credit on this, and she's from Crowley. It's like 30 minutes for me, so she made it pretty easy to transition from Cajun country. Um, but I, ever since 2012, watching them in the World Series, I was like, I want to play for them. And I was fortunate enough that Murph caught me in a recruiting recruiting tournament, and you know my recruiting process took off, and they offered me, but. I would probably give a little a little more credit to Allie out of all the coaches for getting me here. <laughs> you mentioned the 2012 team, the national champion team here at Alabama. What was it about them that you liked when you watched them in the World Series? They just looked like they were having the most fun, and it, it really did look like like they had a family. And that's what we preach here at Alabama is that it's a family culture, and I saw that on TV. Like, I wasn't even interacting with them in person, you know. So I can only imagine what it would be like in person, you know. It's just seeing – seeing how much fun they were having and like I mean that also was a great year for them obviously because they won the national championship but I mean it really it really did look like a family and I wanted to be a part of it and of course you gotta like coming to a school that offers you so much beyond softball and sets you up for a career outside of softball uh, what have you been majoring in here at school and what you been what's your main interest what do you want to do my major is early childhood education um, I want to apply to occupational therapy school and hopefully work like pediatrics but this past fall, I got to uh, intern at the Children's Program, which is at the CDRC on campus. And so I was basically like a teacher in a three to five year old classroom. And I, I mean, I just fell in love with it. It was so much fun. Was that intimidating at all, or do you feel at home? It, at first, I was very nervous because I was like a lead teacher for like two weeks at a time. <laughs> and they're like, all right, you're in charge. You have to do lesson plans. I said, like, what do you mean I'm in charge of these? 14 like three to five year old kids like so it was very intimidating at first but I mean as it went on it was it was so much fun like it I was just playing with them and having a good time and I, I felt like a, a big kid just hanging out with them all the time and that's where the softball leadership's got to kick yeah. in right yeah I guess I guess <laughs> putting up a three to five year olds on our team helps as well <laughs> you didn't point at anybody in no. the room you know name Montana Fouts no, or anything no, no. when you said that um, just as we start to wrap things up what do you want Crimson Tide fans to really get fired up the most about this year I would say our freshman class I think people are going to be surprised at what they contribute this year um I mean, the freshmen are always kind of a question mark coming into a new season, but this class has something special, and I'm excited for the fans to see it. We're certainly excited to watch. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I, for one, am excited to see what Bailey's senior season brings, and, of course, her life after softball. Next up, it's Brad Bohannon, now in his third season as Alabama's head coach, as we talk about what it takes not just to build a team, but a program. Coach Bo shares tales from the recruiting trail and what he's looking for in the next generation of Crimson Tide talent. Coach Bohannon, let's start with talking some recruiting. And first of all, just what is your overall recruiting philosophy and how long does it take to really uh, establish a relationship with a player when they're in high school? And just take us through what it starts with when you're in the evaluating process and then getting them to Alabama. 
Yeah, I think any college coach would tell you that their sport is unique, and I think college baseball is unique in a lot of ways. Uh, we're dealing with a major league baseball draft. You know, kids can can go directly to professional baseball right out of high school. So to put it in football terms, if you sign a class full of all five stars, you may not have any freshmen <laughs> by the time it, it's time to move in the dorm. And, you know, also we're splitting scholarships. So we have 11.7 scholarships, and you have to split those up uh, and put together a team of, of 35 really good players. So a lot of uh, dynamics that maybe some other sports don't deal with. And, you know, when, when I'm putting a team together, I, I always strive for balance. You know, you want to have some speed and some power. You want to have left and right-handed hitting, left and right-handed pitching. Um, I think if you sign uh, a bunch of small guys that can run, um, you're not going to hit many three-run home runs. If you put all your money and slots into pitching, you're not going to be able to score. So uh, you're really always trying to strive for balance. And it's a puzzle with a lot of moving pieces. And um, you think you got it all mapped out. You have your dry erase board with your 2023 team up there, and then you know somebody gets homesick, or somebody gets hurt, or somebody just isn't as good as you think, or they get distracted by college. So there, there's a million things that, that go into it, and they're always changing, and you just try to do the best that you can. Yeah, how do you try to find that sweet spot between getting the top-level talent, like you mentioned, like a five-star football crew, but then also trying to make sure that this is a guy that can come to campus? How do you try to figure out who's the right fit for college baseball? Well, you just rely on experience, and I think it's important at this level that you have a very strong network with professional baseball. You know, during our season, we play so much that it's hard for us to go out and see our seniors that have signed with us. So you got to rely on your your contacts in pro baseball and try to get some honest evaluations. And you know, we're recruiting a lot of kids when they're 15, 16 years old. Not that we don't sign, you know, some late bloomers their senior year, but you know, it's really hard to watch a 16 year old and, and slot them in the the major league draft two years down the road because you just don't know how their body's going to change and what all else is around the country. So, you know, after you do it for a long time, you start to get a, a better feel from the kids and the families who's legitimately interested in the college experience and education and uh, who's, you know, enamored with, with riding on, on the bus for eight hours a night and eating out of a convenience store, um, you know, every other night. Uh, but it, it's not an exact science, and you just do the best you can and adjust as you go. Like every coach here at the University of Alabama, I'm sure when it comes to recruiting, you start with the state of Alabama, making sure the best players in the state stay here. But then after that, you kind of have to go all over the country to grab players and bring them here, right? Yeah, I think any school would tell you, at least public school, that you want to work from the inside out. And um, we would love for our team to be full of kids from you know the state of Alabama. The thing about our university, though, it's a real national brand. And I really thought when I got hired that... Uh, you know, 80-plus percent of our team would be kids from Georgia, Florida, Alabama, and those are very fertile recruiting grounds for us. But I've been really surprised at the feedback that we've gotten from kids in the Northeast, the Midwest, and from out west. So uh, I think that's really a byproduct of our university. I think kids all over the country, they watch an Alabama football game, and they're like, whoa, that looks pretty cool. And when you come visit, I mean, our, our place is beautiful. It's amazing. So... Uh, we, we can attract kids from all over the country and, and even foreign countries, and we'll continue to try to do that. Yeah, does that make for some really long recruiting trips then, uh, trying to see these players, talk to them? Yeah, I say all the time, I'd love to just drive to Birmingham and back, you know, <laughs> and sleep in my own bed. Um, I don't know if my wife would like that. I think she likes me being gone in June or July sometimes. But, yeah, you know, you look at our freshman class, and uh, we got a lot of really good players, and, 
you know, one of them, Will Hammeter from right here in town, but you also have Connor Prelip from Tumble, Wisconsin, that would pitch for any program in the country. Uh, Antoine Jean from Montreal, who anybody would love to have him. So um, Jim Jarvis is going to start and play a bunch, and he's from San Diego, you know, and I think anybody he could play for any school in the country. So it also goes in cycles. There'll be years where we, we sign – seven or eight kids from the state and some years where maybe it's only two or three and it again all just comes down to your roster and your needs and and uh and the options that they have so you mentioned all these places around the country is your staff able to go and see all these guys have the in-home visits or do you ever sign a player kind of sight unseen or having not had the face-to-face interaction it's pretty rare that we don't watch them play ourselves you know you can stats and video or uh working with coaches that you've signed players from in the past. All those things are really, really powerful. But um, maybe I'm a little bit old school. I just want to see the kids play myself. So, um, you know, we get out a little bit during our season, maybe once a week. But the months of June and July, there's about a 10-week stretch where we all spend maybe one night a week at at home. And uh, we're just kind of running all over the country trying to see as much as we can and you know, everybody on our staff has been a, a Division One recruiting coordinator before, so all all of our coaches are really involved in recruiting, and I think it's really healthy and positive if multiple coaches on the staff can watch a kid play because, you know, baseball players are, um, you know, there's some players that everybody likes and there's some players that they maybe I like and the guys at Mississippi State or Auburn don't evaluate them the same way that we do, so... Um, I think it's also important to try to have history and if you can watch a kid play multiple times over time and figure out, hey, is he the same guy he was a year ago or is he getting better? What's the most remote place you've been to recruit a player? Wow. Um, You know, coaching at the University of Kentucky was a great experience for me in a lot of ways and I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, the state of Kentucky is just really rural. There just aren't a lot of people there and you have two uh, really high-level programs with Kentucky and Louisville there, so... I think it's actually one of the things that uh, helped me get the job here. Um, I had signed kids from 25 or 26 different states uh, by the time I got the head coaching job at Alabama. So, you know, being at Kentucky, you know, there might be a couple of kids each year in the state that were legitimate SEC players, uh, but you were in the Southeastern Conference, so you could attract kids from everywhere. So, um you know, through college baseball recruiting, I've been to several places in Canada. I've been to Quebec City, been to Montreal, I've been to Ottawa, I've been out west um, uh, to BC. Uh, I've been to Puerto Rico. I've been to the Dominican Republic a couple times. Um, I've been to Fort Scott, Kansas, where I'll go to see a junior college kid, and you pull up, and the rodeo teams having practice. <laughs> um, so. Uh, I, I've kind of been all over, and uh, like I said, I would love to just drive to Birmingham every night, but that's not exactly how it works. So we'll, we'll go anywhere in the country or the world to find a good baseball player. Yeah, you mentioned driving. Have there been a lot of kind of late nights where you're arriving back in Tuscaloosa 4, 5 a.m., or maybe even like 8 a.m., and just go straight to the office and get back to work the next day? Yeah, we, we don't have uh, access to that private plane for college baseball recruiting. <laughs> so, yeah, I've done a lot of driving, and um, – you know, there were times when I was younger at, at Kentucky that I would drive to Chicago to catch a high school baseball game, and I, I would drive all the way back at night. You know, I would go from Lexington to Chicago and back um, just because I had something the next morning I, I just had to do. So, um, you know, 
I'm just not as familiar with other sports, you know, but I, I'm not sure that um, there are a lot of sports that have to work at the pace, um, you know, that we do and, and get in the car and drive six hours or, um, but like I said, we'll do what we got to do and, um, and we'll keep doing it. What was the music that kept you going on those drives <laughs> from Chicago to Lexington? Thank God for cell phones. You know, I, I do a lot of my phone work. You know, some of there'll be some people that um, I'll give them a call. I'll return a phone call like three days later. They're like, dude, why, why are you just not calling me back? And I'm like, well, I knew I had, you know, 10 hours in the car. You know, you. Um, I remember when cell phones first got really common, the, the Bluegrass Parkway in Kentucky was... Um, there was this kid, the best player in the state in Paducah, Kentucky, which was way out west. And uh, I kept driving over to Paducah to see Clint Tilford, and uh, my phone wouldn't work on the Bluegrass Parkway, and it was just <laughs> miserable because there's just nothing between uh, you know Elizabethtown and, and Paducah. Um, hopefully now there's at least a few billboards or a couple of lights to to keep people awake. And you mentioned as well uh, having to go just far away places like Puerto Rico. Have you ever dealt with like much of a language barrier in recruiting? Not a lot. You know, there, there's not a, a heavy foreign influence in college baseball. So I, I think you have a few variables. You, you know, you're, you're splitting scholarships. Um, you have to, the, you know, the NCAA clearinghouse. Uh, and being able to sign professionally out, out of uh, high school, I think, Kids in the United States are more prone to uh, to turn down professional opportunities. I think they just have more exposure to the, the guys that have signed out of high school and didn't make it, and they're 25 or 28 with no education and, and just kind of starting life where um, the foreign kids, they, they just don't have that guy on their street corner, you know, where they um, truly, you know, understand the, the odds of making it as a major league baseball player are unbelievably slim. So, um you know, Antoine uh, is naturally French-speaking, so his mom and dad, um, they, they speak French in their home. But Antoine obviously speaks English really well, but he's about the only guy with an accent that we have on our club. Kind of along those lines, talking about the long odds to make it to Major League Baseball, how closely is your staff and people around college baseball watching what's going on with Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball if Minor League Baseball is going to start to shrink and there are fewer opportunities in the minors for players? Yeah, I think it's going to have a big impact on us. And um, I think we pay attention to professional baseball for a lot of reasons, you know, obviously with all the you know technology and whatnot. Um there are some pretty drastic changes that are on the docket with the major leagues and minor leagues that, you know, look like they're very serious about taking place. So, um, you know, if they do shrink the minor leagues, then then you, you would think that there'll be more kids going to college. So we'll have to adjust our bearings, you know, and recruit, shoot a little bit higher because um, there's going to be fewer kids signing out of high school. So it'll be interesting to, to see if all that goes through and comes to fruition and, um, I think if you just go big picture that it can be a really healthy thing that, you, you know, I, I think anybody would tell you there are some kids that are just in a different gene pool that are truly ready out of high school. Um, most of them aren't, but there are some. Uh, C.J. Abrams, a kid that uh, signed with us last year, C.J., um, you know, went, I think, sixth overall, and, uh, like, that dude's just playing a different game than everybody else in high school. Like, he, he was ready and had the maturity, and you know the tools to go out and and play against kids two and three years older than him with with a wood bat and um 
you know, so those kids are still going to have that opportunity at a high school, but the next tier down, most of those kids probably need to go to college and prove what they really are. Well, you mentioned the long trips that it takes to go and visit these players, and then when you get the in-home visit, one of the biggest parts of any coach going to visit a recruit is the meal. What are some of the best meals you've had uh, cooked by the moms and the dads of the players you're recruiting? You know, it's not quite like football. Um, we did a lot more home visits 10 years ago than we do now, but again, because we recruit kids at such a young age, and our, our rules are constantly changing, so we can't do an in-home visit with uh, a young man until after um, the summer after their junior year, and by that point in time, a lot of our, um, our recruiting is wrapped up, and it's just a matter of doing the official visit, so... Um, I don't really have any crazy food stories. I, I can tell you this, if there's any recruits out there listening, like any college coach will, will it's not expected, but it, it is appreciated because we all start the summer and you, you mix in a salad um, and, and you get to early July and you're sick of chicken and here comes the quesadilla with the bacon and the side of ranch. Um, so if you have an opportunity to get a home-cooked meal in, in July, uh, we really, really appreciate it. Yeah, football coaches always talk about gaining weight during the recruiting periods. Is that the same for baseball coaches? It is because, you know, you're going to, you know, Taco Mac or Chili's or whatever restaurant at 1030 at night and you just want to decompress and, uh, of course, you get the appetizer. And then, um, like I said, you start the summer with, with good intentions of the salmon and the chicken and the salads and then here comes the, the cheeseburger. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty anxious to – to get on the treadmill and get in the gym when August gets here. <laughs> no doubt. So when you're looking for players, what are the main characteristics that you're looking for, kind of beyond just kind of what you need from a baseball perspective, but what are you looking for in terms of their character? You know, I, I talk a, a lot of, about a sliding scale, and, you know, you grade kids out in a lot of different ways, and obviously, you know, their ability to play defense or the ability to hit or power or strength and athleticism and all that, but the, the intangibles are really, really important. Um, you know, with social media and everybody's got a video camera on their phone, like there just aren't any secrets anymore. Um, and, you know, what young baseball players don't understand is we may go into a recruiting cycle and say, hey, we need two infielders this year. Well, you got your dry erase board and there's like 20 names up there from all over the country. And how do you pick two out of those 20, you know? And, and a lot of them are going to be very close from a, a, a physical athletic tools standpoint. Well, Okay, if they're close, let's go with the kid that we think is the most mature uh, or the most competitive or the most resilient or can handle failure, you know, those types of things that we're trying to figure out. So um, you, you almost have to play part psychologist to, to try to, you know, guess those intangibles, but they really, really do matter. And then what's the process like? How is it different when you're recruiting a junior college player versus a high school player? Yeah, well, JC Kid is kind of what you see is what you get. You know, you go watch them in October or April, and, like, they're probably going to be the same player when they show up just a few months later. Where high school, you have to project more. You know, you're trying to figure out what's, what's your body going to do. Um, are, are they going to get a little stronger and wider and need to go to a corner spot? Or, um, you know, is their velocity going to jump? And, and you're just a lot more guessing. But the JC kid is somebody that you need to come in and play right away. And, and it's really a lot easier to value it because you just go watch them and compare them to your current team. It's like, hey, how does this kid compare to who we have playing that spot right now? 
For your program, what does it mean to recruit well on a consistent basis? And kind of how many years does it take to really get the feeling like, you know, this is what my staff wants to do in terms of recruiting? How many years does it take to kind of build up those relationships? Well, a lot of people don't want to hear this, but this is my third year being the head coach here at Alabama, and I I really feel like this is my first team. You know, I feel like these freshmen is our first recruiting class. And that's crazy to say, but, you know, when I got hired in in June of 2017, if you look at, you know, player rankings, which, you know, they are what they are, but I bet 90 of the top 100 players in the country of that junior class were already committed. So it was really those... Uh, the, the next tier down of kids that we had a real chance to recruit that were open-minded. So, you know, that group, they're just now like freshmen in college. So, like, I really feel like my first real team is going to be when our freshmen are juniors, which is crazy, right, um, to think about. But that's really kind of how it works. So um, as far as recruiting well on a consistent basis, um you know, that's a hard question to answer. We've been fortunate that, you know, our first two full groups that we brought in have been ranked by some of the publications, which is very flattering. Um, you, you know, I, I think it's hard for any um, publication to have a true, you know, feel for all the players around the country. You know, there's just so many kids playing baseball, and it's just hard for, for those guys to go see them all play. Um you know, so I think we can have a really good group that may not be ranked in the top 25 one year. You can also have a group that's ranked high because it's a bigger group and, um, you know, maybe the the services miss on a couple of kids. So, you know, you look at our current freshman class, there are a couple of kids that came in with like virtually zero accolades that are damn good baseball players, you know, and a couple of kids that came in super hyped that, you know, I still think are going to be good, but they're going to take them a little bit more time. So... Um, you know, a kid like Jim Jarvis, if you had looked anywhere online six months ago, um, he was like the lowest rated kid we brought in. Um, Jim Jarvis would play for any school in America, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so um, it's all about recruiting to needs, and, and you really don't know how well you're recruiting until about three years later and you look back and see what they ended up being. On this current 2020 roster, what's the best recruiting story you have with any of the guys that signed and are here for this year? Well, you know, Antoine is just such a unique story. Um, Antoine Jean is from Montreal. And, you know, I talked earlier about how we recruit these kids at such a young age. Well, you know, March of 2019, I I had had no idea who Antoine was. Um, Being my time at Kentucky, I had recruited a bunch of Canadians and a a good friend, professional friend up there called me about Antoine so you know it's pretty rare that a kid gets to April of his senior year of high school and hasn't signed with a college and yet that kid ends up getting drafted and turning down a bunch of money Um, you know and he was just a, a skinny pitcher that he didn't throw hard and all of a sudden his body started to develop and and his his stuff made a big jump and that's just pretty rare that that it happens on that time frame. So um, I love to tell this story. Connor Prelope is is special in a lot of ways. Um, Connor's from Toma, Wisconsin, and uh, I've told the story a bunch. But, you know, we played at Arkansas uh, my first year, and they walked us and hit us 16 times, and we still lost the game, So, uh, which is really hard to do. And uh, we, uh, we joke now that we uh, – 
we snatched uh, defeat out of the jaws of victory. Because <laughs> that's four runs right there. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> yeah, it was a tough day, and it, you know, it was. I stayed pretty positive year one, but that was a low moment. So, um, a good contact from Wisconsin from my time at Kentucky had told me about Connor. So. Um, I flew from, I spent the night in Arkansas, I didn't travel back with the team, and I flew to La Crosse, Wisconsin, and the next day, that Monday, I'm going to watch Connor, and I, I get to the ballpark, and the kids on the field are like tiny, they're, they're all like 120 pounds, so I call my summer coach buddy, and I'm like, hey man, am I at the JV game, am I at the right place, and uh, I was at the right place, well, the game's at like 5 o'clock, and most pitchers start doing something about 30 minutes before they start. You know, they're long tossing or doing, you know, their active warm-up or whatever. Well, Coach Jackson, it's 4.48, okay, 12 minutes before first pitch, and Coach Jackson texts me because he didn't know exactly what time the game was, and he's like, hey, how, how does he look? And I'm like, he hasn't done anything yet. It's 12 minutes for the game, and he hasn't done anything so, like, literally 10 minutes before the game starts, Connor walks down the bullpen with his catcher, stands right on the mound, which nobody does, and throws, like, 20 balls and goes out there to pitch. And I'm like, you know, before the game even starts, I'm like, this ain't going to work. <laughs> well, then I see, like, the third pitch of the game, and I'm calling his coach. I'm like, i got to have this guy. <laughs> um, and I ended up flying back up there a couple more times. So, um you know, just the combination of, um, you know, his preparation and uh, the location and, and all that was, was pretty neat for, for those two guys. Yeah, that's got to be special. I've talked to a lot of Major League Scouts, you know, watching high school players. There are a lot of times college players, too, and they're just watching and they have that aha moment. Do you love when that happens when you're evaluating players? You know, when you, when you do this for a living and you've done it for a long time, this is my 17th year in the league, so I'm certainly not an expert and, you know, I'm 44, I plan on doing it a, a lot longer, but, um, you know, some things just stick out like a sore thumb, you know, and, and Connor Prelip was a guy, and I'll say this, I he was easy, um, but you, you, you see his first breaking ball and you're just like, you just don't see left-handed breaking balls like that. Um, so the, it's like I didn't even need to watch after the first inning, you know, I'm literally five pitches into it my mind is made up and I'm just going to do anything I can to get this kid so um, it's pretty cool when that happens and um, uh, you know another story about one of our young guys you know Jim Jarvis I, I recruited and coached his older brother at Auburn and um, we didn't think we needed another infielder here at Alabama and uh, Morgan McCullough was having a really good season last year and started to get some interest from uh, pro baseball and you know Morgan was kind of a short squatty uh, non-athletic guy but was a really good baseball player and so kind of got to late spring and we figured out hey, Morgan is going to get a chance to sign and he wants to sign and really appreciate his honesty with us so you know it's April and we're like hey we're going to go find an infielder and uh, you know, here comes Jim's name, and I told Coach Zuli, like, hey, man, you have to go watch him. I, I can't do this because I want to offer the kid just based on his brother. His brother, <laughs> Luke, was just one of the top five or ten, just um, most mature, competitive, toughest, good players I've ever coached and still keep in close contact with him. So I made Coach Zuli go out and watch him. So Coach Zuli went out and watched a practice and he called me and he's like, hey, man, this, this kid's good. We, we want him. And I was like, well, stay one more day and, and watch a game. Like, I, I have to be sure because of my relationship with this 
kid and family. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, neat stories behind all these guys. Is that one of the best feelings, too, for a college coach when a pro scout says, you know, fill-in-the-blank player name, wasn't on our radar when they were in high school, but then because of the work they've done at Alabama and what they've done the last two or three years, now they are. Is that one of the best feelings you get? Oh, it's, it's super rewarding. I, I think any coach of any sport would tell you that when you can help a young man, um, you know, achieve their dreams. And, um, you know, we all get into the coaching because you, you like teaching the game. You like the relationships with the young players. And, um, I mean, that's truly what it's all about. And, of course, you want to win. You like the competitiveness. And uh, it certainly beats having a real job or being in a cubicle or in a bank or something. But, um yeah, there's just nothing better than a young player comes in and they're not ready, and and you know that you had a, a small part in uh, helping them be a pro player. Uh, it, it's it's really rewarding, absolutely. We've talked a lot about going on the road and visiting a lot of these players, but what about when they come to Tuscaloosa and take a look at your program? What's a typical recruiting visit like for them here in Tuscaloosa? Well, they see and do everything. Um, you know, our goal when a kid comes to visit is by the time they leave that they know what, exactly what it would be like to be a, a student here at the University of Alabama and to be a baseball player. Uh, so they see all of our facilities. They spend a bunch of time with our coaches. Uh, if we're in schools in session, they're going to spend time with our players and um, all the support staff. And they're really thorough. Um, our staff does a great job. Again, we've all always been involved in recruiting. So. Um, you know, I, I tell this story too. I had played here against Alabama as a visiting coach four times, but you know, when you're the visiting team, the, the bus parks in left field and you walk across the field to the visiting dugout. So I had been here, but I had never been around campus. I'd never been inside the stadium. I'd just, you know, been on the field and in the uh, first base dugout. So uh, when I interviewed with Greg, we actually did it at his house with me being at Auburn, neither one of us wanted it to get out if, if it didn't work out. So, um, you know, I got the job and was still coaching with Auburn in the in the regional. And I, I got up here and did the press conference and, you know, the first six months were drinking out of a fire hydrant, but especially the first few days. So it was like my third day as the head coach here and uh, Chris Passantine, my administrator, checked in. He's like, hey, Brad, I'm going home. Just making sure you're okay, you need anything, you got your keys, you got your computer. And I'm like, hey, man, can somebody show me around? And, you know, he's like, what do you mean? I was like, dude, I, I've been the head coach here three days. I've never seen the locker room. I've never been inside the stadium. I've never been around campus. And we went that afternoon and, and did all that stuff. And, and, like, I was just like, wow, this place is sick. Like, this place is beautiful. Um, and I certainly had a really high um, – impression of Alabama because you know Alabama is a national brand with real juice but I, I to this day remember that feeling of, of uh, seeing Denny Chimes and um, just being around campus and, and and it's really cool that that is so fresh in my mind that I know when kids come visit um, we don't get everybody that we recruit nobody does but I don't think I've ever had a kid or family come here and not say like wow this place is awesome you know um, there may be schools that for different reasons are better fits for a kid or family at a certain time but um but we have a really really awesome product to to share with young student athletes i'm sure you got to be proud of the way your players kind of welcome in those recruits as well and uh, make them feel right at home during their visits and a lot of friendships are born during those weekends i think it's important you know and i I tell kids and families this i'm lucky that i coach at a place that's got all the bells and whistles i mean we got 
an unbelievable ballpark and dining hall and uh, academic center and dorms and all this. But, you know, at the end of the day, that stuff wears off after about two weeks, and you better really, really enjoy the people. It's all about the people. And, you know, a young college baseball player is going to spend more time with me and our assistant coaches and our support staff than they are with their parents during their time in college. So, yes, we have all these bells and whistles, but you better enjoy our coaches and our players. And I think one of the best parts of our program is our players. We just we have awesome kids from great families, and I'm really proud of the young men that we have. So um, I, I, it's really important to me when kids come visit, they spend time with our players because, you know, Kids and families don't understand that even when you're on campus and we've invited you here, maybe we've even offered you, like we're still evaluating you. Uh, and it's really important that uh, that the young man and their parents, that they're, you know, that they fit in with us. So, you know, our players do a great job and I coach them through it. Like, hey, I want you to, to make these kids uh, feel comfortable, make them feel welcome. Um, if you ever see anybody at our facility that you don't recognize, you need to go up and introduce yourself. And that's part of our me coaching our um, young players into growing into young men, and also I think it's really important uh, for people that come to visit, you know, know exactly what our environment's all about. So this has been a great behind-the-scenes look of what it takes to build a roster and get ready for a college baseball season, and now we're here uh, in 2020, ready for the start of this season. What can our fans expect? I've said this multiple times. I love this team. I love this team, and we have a very good team, Okay. This team has great intangibles. We've got talent. Uh, it's a really good offensive group. This is a, a middle of the pack or even uh, above average group of SEC position players by SEC standards. The elephant in the room is that we don't have a lot of experience on the mound. We don't have anybody on our team that has started an SEC game and, and won it, which is really rare and unique. But with that being said, we got arm talent uh, and we got some some length to our staff and. I think if you ranked our pitchers one through you know ten or twelve, whoever you picked at nine or eleven might be better than Florida's nine or eleven. Um, you know I'm not sure that our one or our three is is quite where where theirs is, but this is a really good baseball team. You know, and I haven't said that you know in the two years I've been here, we have a very good baseball team. Now the other piece of that is what does that mean in the SEC West? You know, a couple of the polls have come out, and there's one poll that has seven SEC teams in the top eleven. So, you know, in theory, what you're saying is for us to finish in the top half of the league, we have to be a top 10 team in the country. You know, I think it would be imprudent for me to just beat my chest to say that we're a top 10 team right now, considering uh, that we have so many guys that haven't done it. I also don't know, are we going to stay healthy? Um, Are we going to catch some teams at the right time? Uh, There's just so many variables that, that come into play, but we have a good team. We're going to take a clear step forward. We're going to win more games than we won last year. We're going to be very, very competitive. And I'm really excited to see what it looks like when the lights come on. Well, I know fans can't wait to get to the Joe for some baseball this spring. Just a best of luck. And, again, thank you for spending some time with us and explaining the recruiting process of what goes into building a Crimson Tide roster. Thanks, Bo. All right. Thank you. think we're all ready to get this season started and see what this team can do. Well, that does it for this edition. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Roll Tidecast, and we thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and let us know things you would like to hear in the future. And now, we leave you with this Crimson Tide moment from Nick Saban. But I want everybody here to know, this is not the end. This is the beginning. 
This has been the Roll Tidecast, the official podcast of Alabama Athletics. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Crimson Tide Sports Network.